This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Goalie Ashwa Gummies. You can find them at goalie.com. Use promo code the Show Up That Foundation to get 10% off your order. Zendurance Active Wellness and Sports Nutrition. Their products are designed to maximize your health. At Zendurance, they strive to support and have a positive impact on the wellness of every hardworking dad. Use my code, the show up dad, and get 10% off your next purchase. For more info, go to www.zendurance.com. Tall Man Equipment, standing taller than the rest of the competition in Lyman Tools since 1952. Give them a follow at www.tallmanequipment.com. And last but not least, Adam Lane Smith. He is an attachment specialist who helps people to heal, connect, and build. Use my promo code SHOW, spelled S-H-O-W, for a 50% discount on his attachment boot camp course. Thank you. Welcome to the latest episode of the Show Up Dad podcast, where we're thrilled to have a very special guest with us today, Clint Hatton. He is an author and a coach who specializes in helping people live their lives to the fullest. He's here to talk to us about living big, bold, and brave. And we can't wait to hear what he has to say. Whether you're looking to take a leap of faith, make a major life change, or simply find the courage to be more yourself, Clint has the insights and expertise to help you get there. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired as we dive into this exciting conversation. Welcome to our show, Clint. Hey, David. I'm so glad to be with you today, man. I've been looking forward to this. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for reaching out. Um, we always love our guests that come on here who have a tremendous story of impact that we know it's going to it's gonna help all our listeners for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's start off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, brother, and how you became a coach and an author, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to. And you know, my, my story, we'll just say this kind of in advance, it's not one I would have chosen. Um, it's definitely the most difficult part of my life that I've ever had to deal with, especially in being a father. So, you know, it's not uh, it's not a story that I necessarily enjoy telling, aside from the fact that I think we can help a lot of people with it. And so let me just kind of jump into why I am where I am today. You know, I became a transformational coach. Uh, I've really been speaking for many, many, many years. I was a pastor for 17 years as well. So as far as speaking and that kind of thing, coaching people, I've been doing that a very long time, but there was a pretty big shift that happened in our family a few years ago that sent me kind of on a different path, just in terms of how I help people. Um, and I would even say, you know, a lot about how I feel about being a dad. You know, I have, I had three sons and I'm just going to tell you right now, the story of my oldest son, Gabriel. Um, Gabriel was, you know, one of those kids, super exceptional. We think they all are right. All our kids are special and exceptional. And he was, he was super bright, super smart, very early on great communication skills. And uh, just, you know, he seemed like he was just going to be one of those kids that the world was our oyster, you know, from very early on school was easy. Pretty much just if he decided he's going to do something, it just seemed to just come from, you know, yeah. And so at eight, he decided the he went up into a, a small aircraft with his uncle Danny, loved it, came back down and said, We're gonna, I'm gonna be a pilot, you know. So we're like, okay, you're right. <laughs> you know, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he he held on to that, you know. He 
um, never let go of that dream of wanting to become a pilot. So by the time he was in high school, we had a pretty unique experience here. I live in McKinney, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. And here in our school district, we have a four-year educational aviation program, which is not typical. And yeah. so that presented itself. And then uh, as, as he was going into his freshman year of high school, he also joined a local club called Tango 31 Aero Club. And in short, what that club was, it was put together by a gentleman who just really wanted to help teenagers specifically that mm -hmm. wanted to learn more about aviation. Didn't have to be becoming a pilot. Um, he's had some actually go through that program and become master mechanics and, and various roles in aviation. But for Gabriel, it was he wanted to fly. So at 16 years old, after putting in some sweat equity for a couple of years with this club, he got the opportunity to start flying with flight instructors. And so he was on his way, just living his dream, you know, soloed before he even had his driver's license at 16, which was <laughs> a weird experience as a family. Yeah. And and then at 17, David, he, you know, took the exam because that's the youngest you can be to get okay. a private pilot's license. He took the exam. He, uh, Passed it with flying colors. He went up on his check ride, passed that in flying colors, and he achieved his dream. At 17 years old, he became a licensed pilot. And so he was on his way. And, you know, we were living the dream with him. And uh, he had started a couple of calls. He actually graduated a year early from high school as well. So he had started a couple of college classes. He had just started a new job. Man, everything was just rolling. And on September 23rd of 2019, he jumped in a plane, you know, of course, at that stage for any new pilot, not because of his age, just being a new pilot, it's all about hours. And so yeah. he was, he was just getting more hours. He had a friend that needed to be flown uh, to the university of Arkansas to get back to school. And so he's like, Hey, I'll take you, you know? And so he took her and dropped her off safely. And on the return trip home, about 20 minutes into his flight, he ended up running into an unexpected weather system, the NTSB, which is the federal, um, agency that handles all investigations of plane crashes would rule that he had spatial disorientation and he flew into a mountainside and he lost his life. And so, you know, as you can imagine, as a family, it was a, an incredibly devastating blow, a very painful blow, and it would literally change our lives in an instant forever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, through that, and there's a lot we can and talk about with you know how we handle that and some of the things that we did early on but ultimately david what that did for me was after i got through the initial part of grieving because we're still grieving yeah. but once i got to a place where i really felt like i had a capacity i began to look at his life and i began to look at the way he attacked it you know he was so courageous and he you know he taught himself guitar he became an amazing photographer he just he just was an adventurous soul and I had to realize as a dad, I had pockets in my life that I, I was a coward. You know, mm -hmm. I had talked about launching a coaching company for many, many years while I was a pastor, never did it. You know, um, I thought about and talked about writing a book for many, many years, had never done it. And I began to realize, you know, here's my son who was not even quite 18 years old. Yeah. Who, who probably, even though obviously we would have chosen to have him the rest of our lives, probably lived more in under 18 years than a lot of men do their entire yeah. life. And, and I was a coward in certain areas. And so it, it, it rocked me. Yeah. It rocked me. It made me take a hard look at what I was doing in life. And so eventually that ended up leading out to, I started my personal development company called big bull brave. 
and uh, eventually wrote the book as well that uh, is partly a story about his life, but also just a story about living life and attacking fear and, you know, not giving into the status quo, that kind of thing. So changed my life in many ways. Man, first and foremost, Clint, thank you for sharing that story. Um, man, uh, my condolences for sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, just from one father to another, you should never have to bury your children. No. Um, we experienced that in 2020 uh, with my younger brother. He was the baby oh, and uh, he, he passed away and I firsthand got to see the grief that it caused my parents. Yeah. Um, they're, they're still dealing with it too. Um, like you said, you're still grieving. Um, it doesn't go away. No. You know, and I've had another guest on here, Della talk about how her son he passed away in one of our, in a underground vault accident, uh, doing line work as an apprentice lineman. And wow. she's still dealing with a lot of grief as well. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, man, my, my condolences to you for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. You know, it's, it's, um, it is the worst nightmare, you know, it really is for any parent. And I think, you know, one of the things, cause you know, obviously we want to talk about just being a dad and, you know, as a dad, when you have two other boys too, because at the time, my other two sons were nine and 14, mm -hmm. um, you know, tragedy doesn't stop for anybody. Yeah. And so the crazy thing, and I've, I've said this before with other interviews, some of the things I've done with talks is the weirdest thing to me, or one of the weirdest things about suffering such a crazy tragedy like that is that, you know, your emotions and your train wreck, you're just hurt, you're you're just facing what seems to be this like surreal, you know, crazy scenario that you never imagined. And yet it's still a Monday. It's still a work day. It's still a school day. You know, life goes on with or without you. Right. And yeah. so that morning on the couch, you know, I sat there and one thing I'll say really quick that your listeners need to know is it was a very long night. We're not going to get into the weeds with that and everything that we went through because we waited hours to find out after we knew he had disappeared off the radar, what actually happened. But yeah. what, what happened along with that is we did not wake our boys up. We did not allow them to go through that part of it as we waited it out. But by the time they woke up the next morning at seven thirty in the morning, of course, we knew Gabriel was already gone. So, you know, I had to sit down as a dad and have what I call the impossible conversation. Wow. And I can tell you, you know, it, I mean, the pain is indescribable. Anybody that's suffered a, a huge loss like you guys have, you know, there's there's no real way. Nobody should ever compare the pain. Uh, and again, you don't you don't really have any way to fully describe what it feels like. But I also knew that I, I had to set a compass. Yeah. You know, I, I had to say something. There was no way out, you know. And so I sat with the boys. And one of the things that I said to them was I said, listen, we have two choices. And I really believe this is true no matter what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Aside from ordering at a restaurant, you know, with the decisions in life, you have two choices. And so I said, we can choose to live the rest of our lives stuck in the pain of this tragedy. You know, his, his death can inform everything we do the rest of our lives. And we're going to be a shell of who we were created to be, or we can choose life. And so I told them, you know, cause they were nine and 14. I said, what that looks like for us guys is Gabriel was adventurous. And I just mentioned to you guys, some of the things he did. I said, you know, he lived life. 
Mm-hmm. And so the only way I feel like we can honor him and, you know, we're people of faith. So is honoring God as well is to honor and celebrate the way he lived and do our best mm-hmm. to live that same way, not doing the same things he did. You know, we have different passions, but to do the same things in terms of just attacking life, not allowing fear to cripple us, not allowing pain to keep us trapped from moving forward with our mm-hmm. lives. Um, you said you don't move on. It's not about moving on. No one moves on from losing a loved one. There's no mm-hmm. such thing, but you do have to find a way to mm-hmm. recalibrate and live the life that you were intended to live. And in our case, you know, we want to do that in a way that honored Gabriel. And so that's really the journey that we've been on, David. Mm. I like that. You said you have to change it. Um, I once heard it said that pain transformed or, or pain that is not transformed is transferred. Mm, yeah, that's good. So it's good to see that you're able to take that pain and transform it because you, you're right, man. Whenever we have a traumatic incident that happens to us, we have those two choices to stay stuck there. And I've, I've met people that are stuck literally at that point where that trauma happened. Right. And it's like Groundhog's Day for them every single day. That's right. You know, 20, and, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yes. And they haven't transformed that pain. And it affects their whole entire life. Yeah, it really does. Man. Yeah. I, if I, no, go ahead. No, it's good to see that you're able to attack it. Right. And see that. And, you know, I know you're a man of faith as am I and yeah. allowing God, right. To take that pain and transfer because God didn't create that. And I, and that's right. one of the things I wanted to ask you, because a lot of times with pain, yeah. And with trauma and stuff like that, people have a tendency, whether they're a believer or not, they automatically fall back onto something tangible that they can't explain, which is God, why did you allow this to happen? And they get angry with God. Right. You know, so how did you not allow that to happen? Like, what did you do? What are some of the steps that you did? Or maybe you did. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, to, to say that that never that thought never occurred would be, you know, dishonest, you know, yeah. there's definitely moments. And yeah. I do sincerely mean that moments where it's kind of like, are you kidding me? You know, cause we, we've been through some other stuff too, over the years, we've had some other gut punches. Two of our boys were born very early. One at one pound, 14 ounces, um, three months early, we had a miscarriage, you know, we've had other forms of loss. So there's definitely a part of you at different times when you're just trying to just hope, with mm-hmm. this, this kind of a tragedy, you're kind of like, are you kidding me? And, and you can get a little bit angry, but I'll tell you for me and my wife's journey was a little bit different, but I'm just going to, I'm going to explain to you what happened for me. Mm-hmm. I think what most people get trapped in is the question why, right? Yeah. That's where the anger comes from is like, why did this happen? And I hope this helps someone out there today. I know it's helped some other people that I've talked to in the past. Mm-hmm. But for me, what happened was I just looked at this question of why, and I thought about simply what answer could God give me that I'm going to go, oh, okay, now I get it. Now, now I understand why he had to die. You know, that's, it's okay. Yeah. Totally makes sense now, you know, and I'm not trying to be coy about it. Uh, the truth was, and is, there is no answer for me. Yeah. There, there is no answer that God could give me that would make me feel like mm-hmm. it was now worth it somehow or okay that I lost my son. So I say that to say this, I just feel like it's a bad question 
mm-hmm. because if there is no answer that's going to you know satisfy you, then why are you asking that question? And I think a lot of people do get trapped in that. Yeah. So instead, I've tried to focus more so on looking on you know where where can I tell his story? Where can I bring life, including his life and his story, but my own as well, into this tragedy and where can I use it to help people and you know instead of um getting stuck in pain and, and not being a use to anybody actually mm-hmm. bless people you know and so I call it giving your pain a purpose I'll be honest with you I've heard some people that say they don't like that phrase yeah and I, I get it I get it but I don't mean that in that that's something you should force yourself to do but I just think any time that you turn a pain and a tragedy into a catalyst to serve and help others, mm-hmm. there's a healing virtue in it. Absolutely. It's going to help you. No, I can't agree with you more. Um, I read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Purpose of Pain. Mm. Right. And he goes through all these different stages of pain and, you know, the questions, right? Because questions do come up. Um, I had a pastor, a good friend of mine. Um, he talked about pain and suffering and stuff like that. And he put this great example. He said, imagine what Mary, the mother of Jesus, went mm-hmm. through. Here she was granted 32 years with this son raising, right? To just be at his feet, weeping and crying and agonizing over her son being marred and destroyed. Right. Like the Bible says, he was beaten so bad, right, that he was unrecognizable right. as a man. So here's his flesh hanging from this cross in right. one of the most gruesomest, gruesomest uh, uh, methods of death, per se, that you could yeah. possibly give a person at the time. And she's sitting there, this promise that she was given by God that, hey, man, I'm going to give you a son. And then for that to happen, I'm sure without a doubt, I a hundred percent believe that she was questioning God at that point, at that moment oh, in time. Had, had to have. Yeah. Had absolutely. to have. Yep. You know, and I think that's okay. Um, I really do. I don't think the God that we worship or believe in is small enough to not handle us questioning him. That's honestly. exactly right. Totally. And uh, that's that's something I want to say to our listeners, too, man. There's no problem that God doesn't know about. And he knows your frailty as a human being. That's why he's God and we're not. Um, So if you ever have those moments of doubt, I mean, it's okay. You're human. You know, but like Clint here, he found a purpose. He found a new meaning to it. And he allowed that to transform him and find the healing in it, which is beautiful, brother. It really is, man. Yeah, I want to I want to share something with you and your listeners too, along with what we're talking about that I think is mm-hmm. really huge, and especially over this almost four years now, and the pain is still very real. You know, after four yeah. years, um, it's it's proven to be something that is really really helpful. I've even done several interviews with many uh, psychologists, and you know clinical therapists and different people that all agree that this is a very healthy method. And we just kind of fell into it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But part of it was the second conversation, the second part of the conversation we had that first morning, besides, you know, we're going to live like Gabriel was how we were going to deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. 
because how you deal with the pain is going to have a huge, huge impact on how you're going to live the rest of your life. And so what we did that morning is I told the boys, you know, there's no way for us to know how each of us, so me, my bride, Amaryllis, Joel and Liam, uh, from day to day, how we're going to feel and how we're going to grieve this out. But what we did was we created an, an agreement that everything was okay. Whatever the emotion was, however often it came when we were grieving, it was okay. So that meant it was okay to cry. That meant it was okay to be angry. And, you know, in our household, cussing is not a sport, right? It's not something that we, right. that we do on a regular basis. But I even told the boys in that, that morning, I said, listen, if you get angry and you even us you need to know there's no penalty for it in the grieving context yeah you need to be able to just express your raw emotions that's what we're going to do and it was really important as a dad because we're talking to dads you know for me to do the same thing i had to lead in that way mm -hmm. so when i was feeling triggered and, and when i was feeling sad and needed to cry i didn't go hide somewhere and have that experience by myself and then come back out with my eyes all dried up and, you know, visine in my eyes and looking good and playing the big tough guy. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that. We did it all very openly with one another. And by the way, that, that also included, you know, we had laughter too. Yeah. We had many times where we remembered funny things he did or just quirky things about Gabriel's personality, you know? So there was joy, there was laughter, there was anger, there was frustration, all of it. Mm -hmm. And it was all okay. And it still is. But, you know, we're four years down the road now and it's a little bit different. We don't have to recalculate as often, but that yeah. has made such a massive difference because what I, what I like to say, and I think most of the people I've talked to in the similar situation have agreed is the pain is very real and you really aren't asking for the pain to go away mm -hmm. the rest of your life. I mean, I know some people do, but most you're not looking for the pain to go away because it represents the love we shared. So yeah. I don't pray. I don't even pray for that as a believer. I don't pray for my pain to go away of losing him. Um, but what I do pray for is the strength and the courage and the character mm -hmm. to continue to live my life, to answer the calling of God over my life and to do everything in my power to help my other two sons do exactly the same thing. And mm -hmm. so just, just agreeing to that. And we weren't perfect, David, we're not perfect people. We never have been. Yeah. So we had to recalibrate and recalibrate at times if we got a little off track and, and maybe we're carrying some grief you know, by ourselves for a week or two or whatever, mm -hmm. but we kept coming back to it and it's made a huge, huge difference in our family and in my boys' lives. Mm -hmm. No, and it's good to see though, that mindset, that mindset shift that you did. Um, I know a lot of people, I've, I've met a lot of coaches and everybody falls back to, oh, you got to change your mindset, your mindset. The funny thing is the Bible talks about that. What they're actually putting out there about mindset shift and all that stuff is all written down in the Bible. Yep. You know, so whether they're believers or not, they're basically preaching the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? No, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about pain, okay? Because I know that people want the pain at stock because it, it hurts. It hurts. And I know even for myself, it was so painful, right? Different yeah. things that I went through in life. Um, that I just wanted it to stop. And a lot of times what we do is we anesthetize that through alcohol, right. through pornography, through drugs and stuff like that. Right. And that will never fill that void. No, nope. never. You know, 
but we want that pain to stop because it's so real that we want to numb ourselves to feeling that pain, but we need to allow that pain to transform us. Right. We have to face it. We have to have the courage to face it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have two quick stories I think that could really illustrate what I think has made a big difference. One and this, this first one really ties to kind of what I just said in terms of allowing yourself to feel emotions, you know, because especially as men, they're more likely to suppress and push down. And there's a mountain of evidence, and the Bible speaks to that as well, that that's just a really, really dangerous process. And it will reap yes. uh, horrible benefits in the, in the long run. But we are, we are on, this is like two years after his death. We're in Florida Fourth uh, of July weekend, my father-in-law down there has a boat. So we're out on this island. It's party time, right? Uh, yeah. I, haven't mentioned, I haven't mentioned this yet. My wife is Puerto Rican. So this is the Puerto Rican side of the family. So there's <laughs> loud music. There's dancing. I mean, we're having a party, having a great time. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of bobbing in the water there along the beach on this island. And, you know, Dave, I really don't even know what the trigger was. And as you know, you know, when you talk about someone so close to you, you don't need a trigger but something happened and I just started missing Gabriel. And so, you know, I've kind of trained myself to do this. So I literally just kind of bobbed about 20, 30 feet away from where most people were and was easy to do. Cause again, this was a big party. So nobody's paying attention to me anyway. There's like 50 of us out there and I allowed myself to weep. Mm, like now that. it wasn't uncontrollable. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, you're this blabbering snot coming out of your nose kind of mess. It wasn't that. But I had tears streaming down my face. And and frankly, it went on for about what ended up being 40 minutes. You know, I just mm-hmm. allowed and I thought about him and I just, you know, remembered certain things. And then, but then what happened is as I allowed those emotions to work through me, and I've discovered through talking with neuroscientists and other people as well, that there's a physiological, actually, you know, brain chemistry involved here as well. Yeah. That literally those toxic emotions that could stay and take me in a different direction, they kind of get cleansed through your, your system. Mm -hmm. Then once I felt, okay, I allowed that. Mm -hmm. I literally was able to just bob back over in the water, over to the boat, rejoin the party. And I exchanged that sadness for joy. And I mean, and I mean that it was a real thing. And I even explained to my, my wife, my kids a little bit later, what had happened because I wanted them to know that they had permission that, you know, Hey, if this ever happens to you, just know, here's what you can do. You know, so that was one. I'm, I'm going to give you another one that I haven't shared a lot, but it's, and, and it is in my book, but mm-hmm. it was my darkest moment to date. Mm-hmm. And it happened just a few weeks after Gabriel had passed away. One of the worst parts about losing a son in a plane crash specifically is you lose all control over the body and everything else until the federal government's done doing what they're doing. So we had been let down by the uh, coroner that they were backed up. It was going to take a little while. Um, cremation. I'm not trying to be morbid. It's just cremation was going to be our only option because of the, the crash. Yeah. And so, you know, we will let you know when we're ready to release his remains, you know, that kind of a thing. And so we made a decision as a family, we weren't going to wait unknown amount of weeks. So a week later we did a celebration service. It was actually truly amazing and it was beautiful but you know, a few weeks are going by and it's not even on my mind. Yeah. The doorbell rings. We both work from home. The doorbell rings and I go to the door and I look out our little, we have one of those security glasses and it's the FedEx guy in his uniform. 
which I don't know about you, but that's not an uncommon occurrence here. So, yeah. you know, I just, I just kind of stepped out, shut the door behind me and uh, you know, they got the little device that you're getting ready to sign. And just before I grabbed it, I looked down at the box that he had in his hands and it had a biohazard sticker on it that we're all familiar with. And then in big red letters, it said cremated remains. And I was stunned. And I remember just in a millisecond thinking a bunch of different things, including, you know, are you kidding me? What do you yeah. know what you're making me sign for? You know, I mean, all this stuff's running through my head. Poor guy's just doing his job. So I didn't say anything. I didn't react. I just signed for it. And I went inside. So I went inside and my wife came up, you know, usually we're excited when we see a package and she's like, oh, what did we get? And honestly, David, I, I've tried to stay true to this account. I don't remember us really talking much. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even remember if any words were used, but we opened the, once I just kind of showed it to her, what it obviously was, we opened the box together and we wept really hard for a while. Wow. And just held each other. And it was the only match, I think, to the searing pain of just that first night, you know? And the reason why I'm sharing that story right now is because what ended up happening was my wife eventually after we we kind of run the course of just, you know, weeping is just hard. She went into the bedroom and as she did that for the first time, David, this is just a few weeks into it. I literally felt like a dark cloud starting to come on me. And it really, I I swear I could feel the weight of it even. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I felt like it's happening. I'm going to go into this state of depression. I'm furious. I'm never going to forgive God for this. You know, I mean, I just kind of remember sensing that this is what's happening to me. Mm -hmm. And then I, the only way I know how to describe it is I had just a lucid moment where I knew there was really only one way out. And what I began to do is I began to say some things with a heart of gratitude. Mm. Now I'm saying it that way because frankly, the first couple of things that came out of my mouth were more of a mumble. Yeah. It was hard to be convicted, but then it seemed like the more I said, you know, just thank you for that. I was able to be Gabriel's dad. You know, the more I said, the more conviction began to well up in me. And then I found myself, I started raising my hands and I started mm-hmm. worshiping while I was being grateful to God. Yeah. And I just began to thank him for everything that I could think of, you know, revolving around being able to have the opportunity to be Gabriel's dad and some of our experiences and him living his dream and all that stuff. And as I did, I kid you not, as fast as that thick, dark, black, wicked blanket tried to come on me, that thing just, I felt it come off me. Mm-hmm. And what I want the listeners to hear is I'm not talking about pain. I'm not talking about the pain lifting. And I think too many times we think we're only okay if the pain is gone. And that's just simply not true. Yeah. The pain was still there. It was very real. I'm looking at a box with his ashes in it. But that anger, that depression, that state that the enemy in my soul wanted to put me into was defeated instantly. Yeah. And and I just I I came back to my mind. You know, I came back to myself. 
Yeah. And I was able to keep moving forward with some of the things that we've talked about. And the awesome thing about that experience has been is I do think there's been a couple of times where that darkness has tried to come back on me, Yeah. but it was just because of that experience. And it was so vivid, David, mm-hmm. that it's been really easy to defeat ever since. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you shared that Clint, because um, there is a spirit that's associated with grief. It's a tormenting spirit. Absolutely. And we see that through the scriptures, through uh, Saul, right? Um, So this spirit that will come upon you, and it's only allowed to come upon you. And for you listeners who don't believe or anything like that, um, spare with us, okay? Because there is a spirit. There's there's such a thing as experiencing so much grief that like what Clint is describing right now, it'll come upon you. And it's a heaviness. It's a heaviness that you cannot shake. My father experienced that too when he lost his son and uh, he started seeing this thing out of the corner of his eye and it looked Mm -hmm. like soot. Yeah. Okay. It looked like a black soot and he'd only see it briefly out of the corner of his eye and it would take shape and it would move. Right. Kind of like a bag in the wind. And he would see it out of the corner of his eye. And then when he would turn to face it, it was gone. And he kept seeing that. He kept asking my mom, he's like, did you leave the, because my parents live in the mountains. okay? Okay. So they burn wood for like eight months out of the year. You know, we have a big hunting lodge. So he kept seeing this stuff and he kept asking, yeah. do you have the the chimney open or what, what, what's going on? And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I keep seeing soot. Once he brought that to my attention, because I've seen these things before. Yeah, I have too. Believe it or not, I've seen yeah. them. And no, that's, totally. that's, that's exactly how they look. They look like soot. Yeah, great description. Okay? And um I explained to him and I had to pray with my father and I explained to him too, that he needed to come out of that grief. It was okay for him to, to, to grieve, right. And to feel the pain, but not to stay stuck there. And he needed to operate like you did in gratitude and brother. The only way that you're able to do that is by the grace of God. Seriously, because on your own earthly power, I don't care who you are. There is no way you're going to be able to say, thank you, God, for allowing me to be the father to Gabriel. Yeah. There's no way in, no way. And people who do not believe that is a perfect example of a God that exists because he allowed you to be able to do that. Absolutely. And that's amazing, dude, because I know on my own power, if I'm thinking about and putting myself in your shoes with one of my sons and, and how my father lost his son. There's no way I would be able to do that unless it would be the grace of God. Right. You know, and some Absolutely. great, great things have happened through grief. Um, I was reading a, a book the other day by Dr. Robert Jeffries. Great book, by the way, it's called Invincible. And it's talking about conquering the mountains that separate you from like a blessed life. And one of the things he says in there, he talks about the, uh, uh, the man who wrote the hymn, um, let me find it real quick. He he wrote a, a hymn that was real famous. And anyhow, his name was Horatio. Okay. Um, and it was, it is well with my soul. He wrote that hymn. Are you familiar with that hymn? I'm sure you yes. are. Yeah. Okay. Well, he was a successful lawyer. He was a real estate investor in 1871. Um, his business went up in flames during the great Chicago fire. So he had that happen to him, right? That didn't stop him. Uh, he spent the next two years rebuilding it. 
he decided that he needed to take a break, right? All that, that trauma that just happened and everything. So he decided to book a trip to Europe for him and his four daughters. Well, something came up. He wasn't able to join his daughters. He sent his daughters out there. Yeah. They all died except for the wife. He gets a telegram in the mail saying from his wife saying, what do I do? They are all gone. He decided to go on this ship crossing, right? Now, what I want to point out here is Horatio didn't allow this terrible hardship to harden his heart, okay? So when he went to go join his wife out there, the captain actually showed him where the tragedy actually happened. Wow. And what did that man go do? He didn't get upset. He accepted what had happened. He went down into his bunker in, in the ship. And he created that hymn. Wrote it, yeah. That's that that's amazing. And there's so many different stories like that where people have done great things because they did not allow the grief to hold them down or hold them back and keep them in that yeah. state. Yeah. No, I love I love that. And obviously, we say story. That's a true story, a real thing. Yeah, true. Story. I think it's. I also think it's important to point out too, especially for you know maybe some of the guys or listeners out there that you know, maybe are struggling with the idea of faith or maybe just reject it altogether. But, mm -hmm. you know, the other thing about the way God works with you in these situations too, and you, you, you said it earlier, you know, he's really big. Yeah. <laughs> he's really big. He can handle your questions. Mm -hmm. He can handle your anger. And there was a period of time, uh, we're probably months into the grieving process Mm -hmm. where I really didn't talk to God in the same ways that I did, you know, as far as the amount of time and some of the typical devotional, you know, things that I would do and journals I would do. And I, I, I'm just blown away that through that experience, he never left. Mm. He never gave up. And one thing I've described to people whenever I've shared this part of it is the funny thing was, is even though I knew that, in terms of the way I was treating him, I was slightly disconnected, not completely. I never complete. I didn't never toyed with becoming an atheist. I never said, you know, God, I'm not talking to you, but, but I did lose the feeling of some of that intimacy from me towards him. Right. Yeah. I still never, ever felt unloved. I always felt his love mm -hmm. and I always felt his presence even when I knew I wasn't necessarily doing anything to instigate it. And we know, of course, we don't deserve <laughs> yeah. any, anything right on our own accord, but that's how amazing God is that even if yeah. you do get infected by it a little bit, he's mm -hmm. still there. He still loves you. His presence is still there. And what's going to happen inevitably is he is mm -hmm. going to find an inroad to your heart and provide you a bridge. And you just got to step on the bridge and walk across. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, what you're describing, you know, you end up, experiencing some amazing things and and really even do some great things with that pain. I mean, God just really does take what was meant for evil and, and he'll turn it to good. And he's very patient in doing it. Absolutely. He is definitely long suffering. Um, I like that you pointed out though, that um, you doubted I'm glad that you're transparent to say that because I mean, we've heard it even in Christian realms. You know, we always talk about doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Right, right. But I 
like Downing Thomas because he is a representation of all of us, right? You're not human unless you're doubting. And he had the courage to actually tell Jesus, right? Yeah. I Lord, I can't believe you unless I stick my fingers into the holes in your hands and my hand into your side. And to me, that's a courageous man to be able to tell somebody that, you know, I can't believe you unless I see it. I have a pastor friend of mine who sits on the board of us and uh, he's a lineman. And uh, one of the things he, he told me, and it sticks to me to this day, is he told God in a conversation that he was having, you know, just in prayer. He's like, Lord, I can't believe that demons exist unless you show them to me. I have to see them. I have to see that what you're saying is true. Okay. He told me that that was a blessing and a cursing because now he sees them. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. No. No. And it's it's funny because he'll, he'll, he'll see them. He could go into people's homes and um, his brother-in-law – or it was somebody he knew, I and mean, this is his story, so I'm telling it, you know what I mean? But uh, he was telling me this one story where he went into a certain person's house, and he looked, and he tells the owner of the house, the man, tells him, he's like, oh, you allow that in your home? And the guy was kind of blown away. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, you don't see that? And he's like, no. And then he started going into the questions, like, oh, have you guys been like losing stuff in your home? Is there like a feeling of oppression in your home and stuff like that? Yeah. He's like, yeah, we hear things. We we hear voices and all this stuff. He's like, okay, what did you allow into your home? Because that thing's sitting right there laughing at you. You know what I mean? The guy was blown away. Needless to yeah, say, bad. you know what I mean? Um, But he had to take care of that. And he did that. And like I said, it's it's a gift. You know what I mean? So getting back to what I was saying, God knows we're human. Right. He knows we're going to have feelings he knows that we're going to doubt um jesus I, can i add something to that David? yeah go ahead because i i totally agree with what you just said and i think there's another potential side to that too mm-hmm. i know sometimes what i've struggled with is okay it can't be god so it must be me mm. so maybe i've done things to disqualify myself maybe he doesn't love me because of something i've done so i think it can be both of those things too and he's yep. bigger than all he's bigger than all of it yeah, no, for sure. No, I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, sometimes definitely we we get confused, right? We start thinking, oh, it must be something I did. Maybe if I can do this, maybe if I can do this, right? Right, yep. But that's not how grace is given. There's nothing we can do except, you know, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know? And God knows all that. He knows he gave us feelings for a reason. Right. I mean, Jesus Christ got upset and angry, and flipped over tables and hit people with a bullwhip, right? That was a That's portion right. of his anger, right? And at the same token, he wept with people, even knowing that he was going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. He still cried. It still broke his heart that the people were experiencing such grief. That's exactly right. Yep. And that blows yep. me away. You know, when I hear stories like that, it's like, wow. You know, he he does know what we're feeling. That's it, man. And and we try to make it bigger than it needs to be, you know what I mean? And, and try to take the simplicity out of the, out of it all the time. You know, it can't be that way. And that's a false way of of learning, yeah. I believe, teaching. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard for all of us to receive because really, if I could say it this way, what I feel like we're describing is is he really is love. Yes, he just he just loves you, mm-hmm. and your stuff doesn't get in the way of that 
now in his love, he's going to help you get rid of stuff that's destroying your life, mm-hmm. but it's not dependent on his love. And so he loves you right where you are. I don't care how much you're jacking it up. His love is very steady. Mm. Man, no, I agree with you hundred percent, man. Um, kind of shifting gears, Clint, a little bit. I wanted you to, wanted to ask you how going through all this stuff that you've been through, right? Mm-hmm. How do you help your clients overcome those fears and obstacles? What do you say to our audience if they're dealing with fear an obstacle in their life or whatever? Like, how can you help those? Yeah, I think when you start talking about dealing with fear, first, first of all, I think you have to understand how real it is yeah. because a lot, a lot of people are victims to all kinds of different forms of fear, but don't necessarily recognize that fear is actually the source, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, that I talk about quite a bit is I believe when you look at it, especially scripturally, the opposite of love is fear. Now I've heard pastors over the years try to say the opposite of fear is faith. And we don't need to argue over semantics of that. You know, there's probably in the right context, it makes sense with something you're trying to say, but at the end of the day, it's really love versus fear, because that's why he says perfect love pass out all fear. fear, Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I try to talk about first is, is that, and this is the way I describe it, David, there is legitimate fears, right? So even when God created us, he created what I call natural fears. And your natural fears is just that simple. You know, I was, this was a real story. I was camping in Northern California many years ago, two o'clock in the morning, getting out of my tent, getting ready to use the latrine. And my buddy pointed out there was a bear and it turned out it was a mama bear and a, a baby bear like 20, 30 yards away. Okay. That's when the real fear, the fight, flight, freeze, right? That God created in you, the way your brain functions Mm-hmm. to focus in now on a singular uh, threat so that you can get out of it and save your life, right? That's a real thing. Yeah. So there are legitimate fears in life, but most of the time, let's face it, unless you're in the military and you know active in, in some hot place or um, mm-hmm. perhaps a police officer or whatever, most of us aren't fear of actually facing life and death situations, right? It's pretty yeah. rare. So the problem is, is then our brain subconsciously ends up treating a whole bunch of different kinds of what I call unnatural fears as if they're the same thing, you know? So when you start talking about fear, fear is the hierarchy. And then everything that comes out of that, uh, worry, doubt, anxiety, depression, all of those things are fear-based, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think, first of all, helping people see those two things is helpful. But at the end of the day, what I love to do is I love to have them do exercises Because I think a great coach in particular doesn't tell people what to Mm -hmm. think. He helps them see things for themselves. And so usually what I'll have them do is, you know, write out, tell me your story. I love to start with just tell me your story in your words. Reason why I like to do that is because more often than not, people use words that will tell you quite a bit about how they function and even the fears that they live by and maybe don't even know it. But then I'll also ask them to specifically, you know, write out what kinds of things are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of public speaking and I'm I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. Right. So you just kind of get that all called like a mind dump. You just kind of get it all dumped on a piece mm-hmm. of paper. Say, okay, now which one of these, <laughs> which one of these are actually real in the sense that they are guaranteed they're going to happen? Well, the truth is, 
virtually none of those. They're yeah. all what I call, I, I say fear prophesized. I know not everybody's familiar with that term, but fear literally tries to tell you the future, it tries to tell you what's going to happen, what you're going to experience and why you shouldn't take risk or why you shouldn't have that conversation or why you shouldn't start that business, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Fear is always trying to tell you about an outcome that could happen that hasn't happened and may never happen, right? That's what fear does. So once you can see it, as now you can begin to look at, okay, I'm, I'm making that happen. What if I begin to think about the good things that could happen? Mm -hmm. What are the opposite of my fears? What if I, what if I could be a great public speaker? What if I am no longer trapped by the fear of rejection and I begin to develop amazing friendships and an intimate marriage, you know, kind of mm -hmm. flipping the script, if you will. But that's, that's really what I like to do initially is I like to kind of get these fears out in the open so we can uh -huh. see them for what they are and then begin to use love and, mm -hmm. and the other attributes that we would call positive attributes mm -hmm. that can turn around and change the way you think about the same exact situation. I like that you put it in that perspective. I heard it uh, fear as an acronym before. It's uh, this is what I tell the people we deal with: uh, false, uh, false evidence appearing real. Yeah, yeah, fear. I've heard that one too. Yeah, it's good. And I think a lot of times people that are anxious are because they're worrying about things that haven't even happened, that may possibly not even happen, and they're right. so wound up about what possibly could happen, right? Yeah. But these, these things that appear real and they're very real. I mean, to them in their head, you make you, it real. Yeah. You make it real. Yeah. Like you said, they, they manifest, right. When you're always thinking it on that stuff. Um, but I like that you said that you changed the mindset because the way I look at fear, Clint is it's a snare. Okay. And if you fall into that trap, I've heard it said before that people who are afraid will not even leave their home sometimes. Like there's different types of fears oh, and different kinds of phobia, right? Yeah. Um, I've heard people who would be freezing to death and they could be a blanket five feet away from them because they are afraid to move, right? Yep. They will not get that thing that will help them to stay alive. You know, it, it, it's crazy how fear captivates you and, and holds you captive. You That's know, exactly it, right, man. It's, it puts you in a mental prison. You know, yes, emotional exactly. prison too. Emotional prison too. Yes, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you, Clint, finally, what advice would you have for someone who's struggling to find purpose or passion in life like you have? What would you suggest? Well, that's, as you know, uh, asking me that question, <laughs> that's a layered question, right? So there's probably yeah. different ways we could go with it. But I do think there's a couple of things that I've found to be, you know, really effective because that's, you know, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Mm -hmm. Is the number one question. It It, it is. Every mm -hmm. coach I've talked to, every pastor I've talked to for the last 20, almost 25 years, that's the most common question, right? Yep. So again, I think a lot of it goes back to most people never pause long enough. Mm. Like just stop to even think about what they really even want. And, and who they want to be. I like to talk a lot more about who you want to be than what you want to accomplish. Because yeah. I really feel like if you can think about who do I want to be, what are the characteristics that I want people to describe me? You know, I want, like when I'm dead and gone, mm -hmm. hopefully I've accomplished some things, right? 
But that's not what I want anybody to remember. I want them to remember how I made them feel. I want them to think that, hey, I remember he was an amazing husband, that he was a great dad, not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's just he was great dad. He was he had integrity. He had character. And I think when you focus on stopping all the madness and forgetting about this great purpose that's floating around out here somewhere that you're just grasping for straws, make a decision on the type of person you want to be first. Then Mm. if you do that, then start to ask yourself those questions. And and David, I think it's good to bring others in too. I think this is a great time to bring in if you've got a healthy marriage or your parents are still you know, with you on, on this planet and you have that available to you or just good friends and ask them, Hey man, what, what can you tell me about me? And just shut up and let them talk. Right. Mm. And what you'll end up finding out is sometimes you'll find that you have passions that you've buried things that you love to do as a kid that yeah. you buried. Um, we don't have near enough time to go into this. So maybe for another day, but one of the things that I say is I, I believe three things about every human. One of those is that we have a creative genius. I believe mm-hmm. God is a creator. I believe that he put in us his creative nature and everybody has a creative genius. And so, but if you never slow down enough, if you never stop mm-hmm. long enough to just think about what gives me energy, what do I like? Mm-hmm. Okay, I love people. Why do I like people? What do I love about people? Why do I like to interact with people? You know, asking yourself some of those questions, you'll begin to unearth those true passions. And then it's a question of then at that point, you, you kind of know you better, which is the biggest key. And you can begin to look at, do I need to make a really radical life change? Do I need to move into a totally different career, which I've seen people do courageously and it transformed their life. Or it could be, you don't need to do that, but maybe I need to, it's, it's a new hobby or I need to start volunteering in a certain thing that just augments who I am and what I love and what I can bring value to on this planet, you know, and makes you a more whole person and, and full of joy. So I think those are some of the things that come to mind. Mm. Well, Clint, just thank you so much for being so transparent um, and sharing your story with our listeners. I know it probably wasn't easy for you. I know it's going to add tremendous value. And I thank you for that. I finally, I want to just give you an opportunity now to tell our listeners where they can reach out to you, brother, and how they can get a hold of you, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I love uh, love posting stuff on Instagram. <laughs> so if they want to connect with me, it's just at Clinton Hatton. Mm-hmm. So that's an easy thing there. But if you go to my website, which is bigboldbrave.us, which I call bigboldbrave.us, because I think everything that happens big on this planet we do together right like you are doing right now just go to big bold big bold brave dot us and you can find my speaking engagements my talk topics some of the things that i do uh, as well as coaching and then you can find the book there as well but david i do want to point out because i'm i know you have a broad audience that the easiest way to get the book and especially if somebody right now is listening that maybe lives outside the united states super easy just go on amazon or another you know online retailer and get the book that way awesome clint thank you so much brother once again for just coming on here and just sharing your story i appreciate you and all the work that you're doing i thank you for bringing hope that's what we're called for we we're called to to bring hope to people that need it right sometimes our mess is our message so (laughs) i I, I thank you brother there's a new topic right there right yeah right thank you Thank you, David. I appreciate the opportunity, you know, and 
and you're doing good. So if I could just say that to your listeners right now, man, support David, what he's doing, what he's doing for dads, what he's doing for no doubt as a result of that wives and children and, you know, boys and girls and all that. It's just really important what you're doing. And so I just want to thank you for uh, having this platform and giving me an opportunity to just be one tiny little part of it. Awesome. I appreciate you, brother. God bless. Blessings.